Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Dave Jenkins about his book, The Word Explored, The Problem of Biblical Literacy and What to Do About It. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse-related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to my guest. Dave Jenkins is the Executive Director of Servants of Grace Ministries, the Executive Editor of Theology for Life magazine, and is the host of the Equipping You in Grace podcast and Warriors of Grace podcast. Hey there, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Oh, it's so great to be with you. Thank you so much for the kind invitation. It's an honor to be on the show. I I do listen um, infrequently. Um, I say infrequently because I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts, but I do really like this podcast. So thank you for your work and for how you're serving the church through these great interviews. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. Yes, I appreciate your support. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. I know this book is something you've been working on for a little while, and it's finally here and out into the world. And so before we get started, uh, the book is called The Word Explored, The Problem of Biblical Illiteracy and What to Do About It. And so I would love for you to spend a few minutes and just share about why you wanted to write a book about the problem of biblical illiteracy? Yeah, it's a great question. I really like it. I became concerned about biblical illiteracy really out of high school. Um, So that was 20 years ago. And teaching Bible studies, helping God's people learn God's Word and how to study. I was leading a Bible study for about five years in Idaho, which it's been a couple years since I've lived, about four or five years now since I've lived in Idaho. In the first few years of living in California, I really just thought about, you know, that opportunity that I had and why people struggled. And what I really realized is it wasn't so much how— right? So how would be like studying the Bible, how to study the Bible? Because there's a plethora of books that was more why, you know, as I reflected on that opportunity that I had to teach a Bible study, I just realized that it was really why. People don't really understand how to have the right motivation for studying the Bible. And I would hear things like, I can only be at church twice a week. And I always thought, well, I always believe if you set a vision before God's people or people in general, they'll either join you or not. And But at least they know like what's happening. So I just wanted to take that kind of same approach. So I've also seen people not be able to connect the dots on Jesus and the Bible. So I just became more and more concerned reading the statistics and my academic studies in seminary were all on Bible and study. I've just become more and more concerned and I just became burdened. And it's funny, I had another book that I'd actually already written. And my wife's like, I think this book should go first. So so God bless my wife. She's the best thing outside of my salvation because of her, this book's coming out first. This is so, so vital. I think people are struggling. And I've been saying this a lot lately. You know, we need the Bible like we need food and water Mm -hmm. and sleep. It's it's that important. And understanding that in the right way is, as we'll talk about today, is is so vital. And I think that it will really help people. I'm hearing it's helping people that have already read the PDF 
on just a reminder, being instructed about things, even even up to the seminary level educated Christian. They've been right. in ministry for a long time. They're like, hey, I'm being helped by this. I'm like, wow, uh, that, that blows my mind. That's all God's grace, right? So Yeah. Well, I love that you mentioned about kind of just reorienting our focus to the motivation. You know, what is our motivation even to desire to want to improve our biblical literacy? I guess before we get even further along, it may sound obvious, but I wonder if you would just real quickly define the term biblical illiteracy and maybe explain why it's a problem. Well, that's a fantastic question. I love it. I love that question. Simply put, biblical illiteracy simply defined means people aren't, it's going to sound so redundant, they aren't biblically literate. But biblical literacy is a problem because when we talk about a Christian indwelt by the Spirit, right, not being biblically illiterate, that's a discipleship issue because being a disciple means literally to be a learner. You know, and God has given us 66 books that constitute the Word of God, 39 in the old, 29 in the new. They're the reliable, trustworthy, binding, and for every area and phase of life, Word of God. So that's a discipleship issue. So we have to help people learn in the right way to not only study the Bible, but why they do that so that they can become biblically literate. Now, now what I'm arguing in the book, to be clear, is that this problem is totally 100% solvable. So some people be like, well, what solution do you have to the problem? I, I understand that. that. That's But that's why I wrote the book is I'm trying to offer a solution. And some people might think, well, you're trying to offer the only solution. I don't think I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to get more conversation around this subject. And like I said, there's tons and tons of books in this genre, right, on studying the Bible, how to study the Bible, but there's very precious few that I've found, if any, that really get to why. They get to the motivations. They train our new affections, you know, and help us understand w- what God, the Spirit, is trying to do there in our studying of the Word, in our life with God's people. So, like I said, I'm hoping more of that kind of conversation will happen. And in terms of why it's a problem, I mean, you think of a firefighter, right? A firefighter doesn't sit, and when there's a wildfire, you know, we we lived in California, they don't sit on on the sidelines, right? But imagine if they did, right? That wildfire is going to keep growing, you know? It's going to keep growing. And I fear that the problem of biblical literacy is growing and growing, not because we don't have enough voices, but because we don't have enough conversation. So in a lot of ways, I think we're like that fireman who is just sitting on the sidelines, and we need to really get in, and, and we, we, we have the answer to this problem. We really do, and, and God has given us that answer in His Word. I like how in the book, Dave, you really uh, hit the point repeatedly, not only about motivation of our desire to grow in biblical literacy, which is just out of a love of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is the Word, and we want to, if we want to learn more about Jesus and grow in our knowledge of the Lord and come to even have greater affections for Him, then we need to be turning to the Word of God to nourish ourselves, like that daily bread um, that is so precious to us and that he, he promises and commits to give to us, that soul sustenance. I also love in the book how you'd remind us that not only is it good for our own souls, but it's also good to be growing in our knowledge of biblical literacy, because this is how we grow in our wisdom for just navigating life. This is how we apply God's Word. I mean, I think 
think sometimes we may not fully understand how God's word is meant to be sufficient in in our lives in terms of the problems that we're facing, the, the pain and the suffering that we are going through or we will go through and how the word even prepares us to enter into those seasons. And so uh, do you have any thoughts about, you know, just in, in terms of what I'm talking about of, of coming to see God's word as sufficient for everything that we're going to be going through or facing in this side of heaven? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I could think of a you know, say a, a single mom, right? They have a they have a kid and maybe that kid is having some trouble in school. You know, how are they going to be able to face that? Well, God's word has so much to say about our anxiety in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Well, guard your hearts and your minds to Christ Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. You know, Jesus invites us to cast our burdens before him and to him because he's faithful. In Hebrews 4, 16, Jesus summons us before the throne of grace. So whether that's a single mom or, you know, a pastor with enormous amount of struggles or a biblical counselor, they're dealing with a really tough case. I mean, God's word is, it's reliable, it's trustworthy, it's sufficient, it meets all of our needs, because behind God's word, we have to understand is is Jesus, and Jesus is always sufficient. He is unchanging. Um, the Bible tells us that God never lies, and so he'll, he'll meet our every need, and he does it through through his word we really need god's word as you as you said so well just a second ago you know it's a bread of life it's it's water for our thirsty souls so as christians and dwelt by the spirit how then do we not need god's word there's three things that i'm trying to aim at here in the book and and it's it's that god loves his word he loves his church and he loves his people and those things are things that god loves he delights over those things he gave us his word he he saved his people. He bled and died for his church. And so we should delight in those things. And and so that's what I mean. It's not a duty. Recently, I, I feel like, you know, writing has become like a duty. It's it's something that I'm just doing. I have so many articles to do. And I'm just like, hey, I need to back off that, right? Because it's become more of a chore. It's, it's just become something to do. Another thing I'm doing rather than something that God's gifted me and he wants me to lighten that and to use my words to bless other people. So I need to back off so that I have the right motivation. And in a similar way, we need to do that with the God's word. We need to really check ourselves if we feel like, hey, this is becoming a duty because it's really a delight. Um, and God calls us to delight in his word. And that's how we're going to be prepared to face life's trials and struggles. And one of my former pastors says, God hand tailors all of our circumstances, right? All of our trials and things that we're going to face. And, and that's good news because if God hand tailors everything in our lives according to his sovereign plan and purpose, then he's going to be with us in the midst of it. And he is. Right. You know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we can trust him and we can lean into him and we can press in and grow in love for him because he's shown us himself faithful in his word. And he, by extension, he'll always be faithful in our lives. Absolutely. Well, Dave, I really enjoyed, I'm not sure if enjoyed is the right word, but in the beginning of the book, I guess I was just really struck by the statistics that you shared relating to this issue. Do you mind sharing a few of the ones that surprised you and 
Tell us what these findings reveal about the need for the local church to take the problem of biblical illiteracy seriously? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great question. Well, one statistic is 82% of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Um, even among born-again Christians, 80, 81% believe the Bible teaches the primary purpose in life is to take care of one's family. 12% of adults believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. So the first one, right, 81% of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Right there, we have a huge problem with understanding what Jesus has come to do, because Jesus didn't come to, to help those who help themselves. He helps those who need Jesus, right. you know. Charles Spurgeon, I have a great need of Christ and a great Christ for my need. So no, that's that's not quite right. You know, and the, the family one is, I saw you just posted on that on your, your Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah, that was a shocker. The primary purpose in life is that we're created by God and for God to know and love and serve Him. So, I mean, yes, it's great that we care for our family. It's great that we serve our family, but that's not the primary purpose of our lives. And then, obviously, Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. That's that's not in the Bible. I was just talking about those three things that God loves, His Word, His people, and His church. We have to get in God's Word. We, we will love as Christians and dwell by the Spirit. If we're walking with Christ, we will love what God loves. And so that's really what I'm trying to get us to do in the book is to, one of my friends calls this a, a, a pre-basic, if you will, basic book. But by that, he means that before we even get to the basics, we have to start here because what is our motivation? Where is our desire to do that? And so, for example, I, I love my wife, right? You see me post about that all the time on social media, and that it's because I really do. Right. And I <laughs> you'll probably laugh at this, Christine, but I do I do chores not just to check them off and, you know, to make her happy. I mean, I, of course, I want to make her happy. But but the response and the posture in my heart is I delight in my wife. I love my wife. So then I do those chores. And similarly, you know, we should love what God loves and our love for him should flow out into the things that we do. And that's really where I think the New Testament goes. We see that in Colossians 3 in the language of putting off and putting on. And then in chapter 4, he talks about our witness, you know, to speak words seasoned with grace and those types of things. So these, our character impacts our witness, and but we have to start with our character and how Christ is being formed in us by the grace of God through the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit sends us out. And so I I think we have a problem. And then the local church can help people. You know, the Holy Spirit not only gives us teachers, Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 says, but he also teaches us the truth. And that's a that's a good balance for us because we need teachers, but we also need the Spirit to teach us truth. Well, Dave, why do you think that according to the data that you've seen, many of us, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, I sometimes struggle to make consistent Bible reading, study, meditation, and even the application of God's Word through Holy Spirit-empowered self-counsel, uh, struggle to be consistent with that in our daily living. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. I've been a Christian since I was f five, and there's times in my life where I echo what you said, you know, where it's just another thing to do. And then I just have to remind myself, hey, this is God's Word for me. This is God speaking. It's been said, if you want to hear God speak, open your Bible, right? If you want to hear him speak out loud, read his word out loud. That just reminds me, hey, hey, this is God's word for me. I really do need this. I need it 
for, for myself. I start my day listening to the Bible. That really helps me. It just, just opens new vistas of biblical understanding, things I might miss in my reading. I do read fast, but you know, sometimes you can just gloss over things. Reading the Bible is the way we talk about Bible reading is like, hey, do this, right? But we have to help people understand that it's not just something that we're doing. It's it's something that we get to enjoy. The Puritans used to talk about the scriptures as God's love letter. It's an inspired love letter by God that teaches us and instructs us and really helps us to grow. So that's really what I would I would say, you know, on that question, you know, all of our R.C. Sproul used to say that our lives are quorum Deo before the face of God. And so all of the idea is, is that there's nothing in our lives that God doesn't see and God doesn't know. So that means he knows the length of our days, the hairs on our heads. And so there's nothing that is a surprise to him. You know, some people use this example of a closet. <laughs> he already knows what's in the closet. You, you can't fake him out. You know, he sees what's in the closet. He sees where our desires really are. That's not scary. It might be scary for a lot of people. It should jar us. It actually is incredibly freeing if we understand it, that because of Jesus, there's no condemnation. And when God opens that door and he sees that closet, actually he's exposing it in his kindness so that we won't block him out. We can't block him out anyway, but we think we can block him out. But he's graciously exposing those things in our lives that displease him. And that's incredibly freeing and, and hope-filled. Because Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Hebrews 12, 6, there's God disciplines those whom he loves. That's actually a good thing. He's working in our lives to conform us to Jesus, and he's using the word to, to do that. I love that you just mentioned that Bible verse about the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And I don't remember where I saw it or read it, but somebody had made the observation that the word discipline is linked to disciple. And I'm sorry, I don't have it right in front of me. I don't know if it was the root of discipline is the same as disciple. And so I'm not sure about how he made that connection. But the point of the connection was that those whom are disciples of Christ, those are the ones that God is, even through discipline, is teaching, right? Because the discipline is never punitive. It's never a punishment. It's always for our instruction, for our benefit. And even recently in my own life, when there were sins that I already am familiar with, I mean, to be honest, Honest, Dave, aren't the Lord has graciously shown us the various idolatry and, and the sins that we're, we may be prone to or stumbling blocks that are common in our lives. It's not a surprise to us, but when others are made note of them, it can feel like, oh man, that smarts a little bit. You know, I wasn't maybe ready for someone to come into that struggle right this moment. And then for me personally, just in that moment, having to remember, oh, but I don't have to be ashamed about this because this is for my good. And that if God is working to reveal this thing and, and make it known to other people, it's because he wants to help me and he wants to change me and mature me into Christ. And so I can actually learn to not despise the discipline of the Lord when I know that through the ministry of his word and through the care of other people, he's exposing that in me to help me to change into Christ's likeness. And so that was just personally something that was really relevant and meaningful to me because I think it was the first time in my life, even though I had the head knowledge days, it was the first time when I really experienced that moment of not despising the discipline. Yeah, that's really, really good. You know, we, like you're saying, you don't need to be afraid of discipline. You know, it, it, the text even says God disciplines those whom he loves, those that are already adopted. They've already been called. They've already been declared not guilty. 
justified. They're already positionally children of God. Because of being identified with Jesus, they're already being progressively sanctified, made like Jesus. And that's good news because one day we'll be glorified by Jesus. So it's all about Jesus. You know, it's all by the grace of God through the Spirit of God. Right. And it it comes down to our motivation. You know, if our motivation, our purpose for life is to want to please God, to be conformed to the image of his son and to glorify him more than we even want to breathe, then to be disciplined through the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which we're about to talk about in just a minute, is a gift. And it is something that we can learn to, like I said, to not despise. And so thank you just for bringing that up, because I know that was a very meaningful moment for me just here recently. And so I appreciate you pointing that out. Now, speaking of the Holy Spirit, because his work is imperative and extricably tied to ministry of God's word. And so maybe you do a really great job in the book of kind of doing an overview. Well, I guess I should say in the book, you're perhaps more detailed, but maybe in this conversation, you could give us an overview of how the Holy Spirit works through the the ministry of God's word to bring about change and to testify to Christ and just what his role is as that helper and that comforter. Because I think, especially when it comes to the, the Holy Trinity, you know, we think an awful lot about Jesus and an awful lot about the Father, but just the Holy Spirit sometimes may fall by the wayside. We don't really think about that he's active in the world and, and doing a really important work for us and for God's kingdom. So would you touch on what his role is? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great, great question. I love it. There's three things in the Upper Room Discourse. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the Upper Room Discourse, it's it's in John 13 through 17. So if you aren't familiar with it, camp in chapters 15 to 16 of John. And there's three things that Jesus does there. He says that biblical truth is to ground our lives, you know, meaning that we're supposed to open God's word and he'll use God's word to teach us and instruct us, right? But he also uses teachers, as I said in Ephesians 4.11. So we have to have the right balance because some people say on the first point that, oh, all I need is the Holy Spirit, right? I don't need a teacher. Well, that's not quite right. That's not balanced. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth from Scripture. The Holy Spirit also uses teachers to teach us, Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. The second point that Jesus makes is that the Holy Spirit aims to take God's Word, the biblical truth that we're learning from teachers, right, and point us to Jesus. You know, we see that, and we see that also really illustrated in Luke 24, where Jesus himself interprets the scriptures to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then their eyes are opened and they follow Jesus. Third thing is, is that Jesus talks about in the Upper Room Discourses are sent out on mission to be witnesses for Jesus. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, that we're ambassadors of God, and you know we're sent out on mission to call with a message of reconciliation. And that's so important. Jesus tells us in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and to save the law, in Matthew 28, he tells us that we're to make disciples who make disciples. And so this is kind of what the Spirit is doing. For example, when you're hearing the word preach, what what is God doing through the faithful exposition of his word? He's then going to take the truth and he's going to plant it deep in your heart and your life. And whether that's through conviction or comfort or encouragement or a reminder or any any number of things, you know, the Spirit can do a million different things all at once and more, right? That's some of what God is doing. And it's like we talk about gathering together as the church, you know, on the Lord's Day on Sunday, right? But then when you walk out the door, 
we're so scattered. You know, we see that in in the book of Acts, right? They gather together and then they go out. And we go out through when we walk through those doors at our church on Sunday, we're sent out as witnesses to testify in the power of the Spirit individually, you know, in our families, in our jobs. And so the Word isn't supposed to only be central in the life of the church. The Word is supposed to be central in our lives as well as members of the church, as people and as Christians and dwelt by the Spirit. What that does is it, is it helps us to see that it's not only Sunday that matters, but our whole lives should be revolved around Christ. Our whole life is before his face, as I said earlier. And so our whole life, it's all seen and it's all known and it's all connected. There's not, Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch that is mine. So I say, that it's, it's like this, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And that's what God is doing. That is mine. You, and you're mine. Everything is God's. And so God by the Spirit is is working in us to teach us the truth, to point us to Jesus and to send us out on mission. And that's a whole mission that he's aiming to do, to personally and corporately conform the people of God and the church more to the image of Jesus. Well, Dave, I would love for you to speak into kind of how we can engage God's Word on a daily basis. And specifically what came to mind as I was reading the book is that sometimes we experience a season in life where, to be honest, sometimes it's our whole life where we have either a chronic cognitive disability, or maybe we're just in a season of life. You know, for me personally, I just had a house fire. And for the first month after that, my brain was not working in a normal capacity, just from the trauma, the experience and decision fatigue. And so we may experience times or seasons in our life when just those cognitive abilities are limited. Or maybe we have a disability where we can't read, but we can hear or vice versa. And so I wonder if you would talk to that, you know, when our bodies are interfering with our ability to be in God's word through reading, what are some other methods of interacting with the scriptures on a daily basis? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we need to have more in our toolkit than just telling people to read the Bible, like opening your copy of God's Word. You mentioned one, listening to the Bible. I listen, I encourage people to listen to the version app. You know, if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, you know, I really struggle, for example, with going through from Genesis to Revelation. Hey, here's an idea. Read or listen to the book that your pastor is preaching through. Maybe just stay in one book for an extended amount of time. I am a fan of going, you know, reading through God's Word in a year, but we need to have a more holistic approach. We need to have less, I'm going to say this here, I want to be clear, I don't think that authors or theologians or, you know, those who really talk about these things a lot, I don't think they're intending to do this. So I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt. But we have to have a, a less of a cookie cutter approach to this kind of subject, because what people hear is, okay, all I can do is open my copy of God's Word, and that's the really the only thing that, that I'm being taught, or I'll have to spend a couple hours, and that's just exhausting. Most people don't have that, right? They're busy, they, you know, a single mom or a married mom, you know, like yourself, you have kids and you're busy. Oh, so what I want to say to that is find five to ten minutes to spend time either listening or reading God's word. And if you have kids, you know, God bless you, you know, for that. And and that's awesome. 
use that time with your kids. You know, if you homeschool or they're getting ready, use that time as well. You know, maybe at breakfast to have them listen to God's word as they're getting ready or you're making dinner or lunch or, or I mean, the applications are so endless. And, and I just want to say that it should be tailored to you. What works for you? You have to figure that out. You know, I can say, okay, well, you know, spend five to 10 minutes in God's word, but I don't know your schedule. We have to talk about it in those kind of, I think that's a more helpful way because what people hear is, okay, well, I don't have that time. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to check out and they're not going to spend time in God's word. And maybe they do that unintentionally, right? But we have to help them understand and maybe even come alongside them so that they can understand in the midst of their schedule, in the midst of what's happening with them, and that, that's really where I think church leaders can do a better job at and biblical counselors, even just helping them getting into their life a little bit and helping them see, hey, in this this part of your life and in, or at this time of your day or this time of the day, here's a good time, you know, to suggest to be in God's word. This will really help you because like I'm really <laughs> I'm really, really busy. But in the morning, I have no greater appointment than to listen to God's word as I'm getting ready for my day. I, I will not be able to do it. I would be exhausted. In fact, there's been times where I burnt out. There's been times where I've been so exhausted. And uh, mostly those are times where I'm really re- going in my own strength. I'm walking in my own power and thinking that I can do it in my own. And, and man, that's so dangerous. I need Jesus. I need the word. I need the spirit to work in my life. I need the energy that the grace of God provides and he carries me through. And so last week I had 12 articles. I I had two author interviews. I had four interviews that I was being interviewed. And then on then I had to prepare a sermon. So I was practicing that. I was so reminded that last week about how weak I am and how frail I am. And I'm just saying, Lord, I, I so just need you. I, I just so need you. I, I don't, I can't do this without you. I, I, I literally can't make it. Please help me. You know, and man, did he ever help me? He helped me with the sermon. He helped me with the articles. He helped me. And, and that's the kind of thing. We just need a real childlike dependence. And that, that comes from, I think, from spending time in, in God's word and, and having a variety of ways that we do that in our toolkit. Yeah, I love how you mentioned just about listening to God's Word, and I think that is really important. Just a really great option for those who are in a season where, like you said, to sit down. I mean, even just some some people are, are having such difficulty that to even focus on the words on the page, I just cannot do it for one reason or another. And so listening is a great option. And I'm just so thankful we live in a time where we have access to podcasts and sermon videos and audios and all these things. Instead of us trying to come up with, okay, what teaching am I going to listen to today? What scripture verse am I going to go to? Just let the body of Christ minister to you through a message that you listen to, through um, a podcast that you listen to. And as long as the word is being faithfully taught in those contexts, then you are interacting with God's word. It's just not necessarily you putting your nose in the book and, and mining the riches, but you're letting the faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God preached or taught. Yeah, I think just for me, um, in my own life, that's something that I have relied heavily upon 
in seasons of motherhood, but also in seasons of of grief or depression even. And so thank you for taking the time in your book, especially to point out um, that as an option. I also would love for you to spend just a couple minutes explaining the term that you use in this book. You you call it grace-filled effort. And I wonder if you could explain what that means and how it ties into what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great question. It's a very important question. There's two words that we use, the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is what Christ has done in his finished work, and the imperative is what uh, Christ commands us because of what he's done. You know, we're not talking about meriting salvation here. We're not talking about salvation by ourselves or by our works or exerting it in our own power or our own way, just to be clear. So we're not saying that. You know, it's only by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we're saved, held secure, and can pursue any grace-driven effort at all. So when we talk about this, what we're talking about is the means of grace. And what that means is is the, the, those things that help us to grow in the grace of God. But the grace of God is not the beginning cause of our salvation. It propels us forward in grace to rely and trust on Jesus from the beginning to the end. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that there's grace at the beginning, grace in the middle, grace at the end, you know, grace everywhere, right? Grace, wondrous grace. And that's really what we're talking about. But that same grace that saves you as a Christian is training you to renounce ungodliness so that you can grow in the in the knowledge of Jesus to train yourself for ungodliness. So we engage in those things like re- personal Bible study, you know, reading, meditating, memorizing, meditating, applying the Bible. We engage in the corporate disciplines, you know, small groups and, you know, the corporate reading God's Word, so expository preaching, all because of the grace of God, which we have received because of the finished work of Jesus. So when I'm talking about grace-filled effort, I'm talking about it's not because of ourselves. It's because of the grace that we've received that we can engage in growing in Jesus. We don't uh, first, uh, you know, um, just obey, right? We have to believe. We have to trust in Jesus. And the right order is so important because if I tell somebody, oh, well, you just have to be obedient to Jesus and they're not saved, (laughs) guess what? They're never going to be able to do it. They don't have the spirit. They're not They're not born again. I'm preaching a false gospel. But if I tell them, if I tell a Christian because of the work of Jesus, because you're indwelt by the spirit, you can obey Jesus. You can put to death that sin in your life and, and we can walk alongside of you and help you and, and grow in grace and in, in a multitude of ways. That's what more or less what I'm talking about with grace-filled effort. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, I was studying for my ACBC exams and reading Heath Lambert's book on a theology of biblical counseling. And he, in that book, mentions that as we're, you know, working out our salvation, that there is the moral effort, you know, that the effort that we, we do give. I think Dallas Willard says that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning and so we give that moral effort, right? But that moral effort comes with the partnership of a divine enablement. Like you said, that grace-filled effort, or even the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we have indwelt in us, it's the spirit that is enabling us and empowering us to pursue the moral effort. And it's both happening at the same time. It's just a glorious, glorious reality that we have, as believers in Christ, have. And so I'm really thankful that you took the time in the book to explain that, because like you said, 
it, it is a temptation when it comes to this topic to fall backwards into, okay, well, I guess I got to do this now. And, you know, it's like a duty instead of, um, you know, a response to the gospel and a response to God loving us first. And that in his love, we want them to learn what does it take to please my father who gave everything he had to redeem me and call me from darkness into light. When you were talking, that's what it reminded me of. I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So thanks for including it in your book. Now, Dave, for those who attend weekly church service, it can sometimes be a challenge to connect with the pastor's teaching. I've talked to a number of people where this is the case and, and you know, they're showing up to service and they're, they're saying, you know, I'm just having a hard time focusing. I'm having a hard time staying present. I'm not sure I'm really following even sometimes the teaching. Can you offer us some practical ways we can proactively seek to engage the sermon message and the scripture that's being taught? Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's a great question. There's three things. I'll give them to you straight up, okay? Open your Bible, listen for key ideas and points, and listen to how your pastor interprets the Bible. So open your Bible. Paul in Acts 17, 11 commends the Bereans because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul commends the Bereans for receiving the word of God. And so having your Bible open, following along when, you know, you're listening to a podcast like this and somebody cites scripture, you should be, you know, opening your copy of God's word or reading, looking at it. Is that pastor, is that teacher, are they pointing, are they actually quoting the scripture rightly? Are they rightly dividing the word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15? Is your pastor doing that? So that's why you need to have, and I'll get into the, the why here in just a second, but, and the second thing, listening for key ideas and points, that's so so important. So whether your pastor provides an outline or the teacher provides an outline or not, I think having an outline is important. But the point of that idea is, isn't whether you write down or not, or whether you just listen. The goal is, is to take out whatever the pastor or the teacher is teaching you and to take those insights with you, you know, because that's what God wants to do. He wants to, when you're sitting under Bible exposition, we're learning how to interpret the text. Um, we're learning uh, what it means and or discovering what it means, or maybe we know what it means, but we're being reminded of those things. And God wants to use that. So that's the idea behind listening and listening for key ideas and points. What's the same way you would do, for example, watching the news? If you're interested in the news, the same kind of idea applies when your pastor is preaching. Listen for his key ideas and his points, those those things that really stick out to you, because those are the things God wants to use in your life. Third thing, listen to how your pastor interprets the Bible. This is huge because we're talking, I'm talking about, you know, in the book about expository preaching, which is preaching the point of the text is the point of the sermon. I think that's the most faithful um, way to preach God's Word. I also think that that's the most supported way from in church history. I also think what it does is it exposes people to all of God's Word, all 66 books. And I'm saying that all of 66 books will be taught, I'm saying, but it, it will more likely expose them to all of God's Word. And that'll help God's people to learn to read, to interpret, to see what the pastor is saying from that text, you know, which obviously helps them to learn to interpret the Bible, too. I, I mentioned that God gives us teachers, and one of the primary things that a pastor is supposed to do is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and the pastor has no greater responsibility, according to Paul in Second um, Timothy, to preach the Word, right? And Second Timothy 2.15, to rightly handle the Word of God. 
So when I talk about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, the pastor's main job is to preach the word, to rightly handle the word. And so that's how God's people will learn then to also, by extension, to handle God's word well, to interpret it well. So, yeah, I think that's probably what I would say practically, how they could be helped by by that. Yeah, I've even seen too, I've searched online and you can actually find sermon note pages or even sermon journals that will already have that kind of key point outline on the page and you just, you know, fill in the gaps as the sermon is going along. And I found that to be really helpful for some people that I've talked to who just really have a hard time even wondering, where do I even begin in taking notes? This is all, you know, maybe they feel overwhelmed or there's having a hard time really trying to pick out the main ideas. And I think you're so right in just taking notes um, so that even during your meditation time or study time during the week, you can go back to those notes and explore, oh, you know, the Spirit brought this scripture to mind. I want to go check that out. Or I want to go see how are these things that my pastor was saying, how are these connected? And so I think having notes handy during the sermons, I think, could be a very helpful discipline or practice that someone can can use and implement if they are struggling to engage with the sermon message. Well, Dave, we've got time for just a couple more quick questions. I'm going to go ahead and and ask you, what is the importance of being connected in Christian community, more specifically, something like a small group or a community group, especially when we're seeking to grow in biblical literacy? Well, small groups are a great place to do life with God's people. You know, they provide a, a safe place for us to gather around God's Word and to pray. So whether whether we're going to eat or whatever or fellowship, the primary purpose of those groups is to really spend that time gathering around God's Word and doing life with one another. It's there that we can ask questions and those kinds of things and where we can, you know— encourage one another in in our biblical literacy and not pointing a finger oh well you didn't know the answer to that or no we're not doing that we're we're providing a safe place a loving place where everybody can grow and be safe to ask questions and you know to grow in their knowledge of God's word even as a seminary educated christian and a christian for a long time you know small groups helped me because i'm like a lot of the times i just sit there and listen i'm like you know that I never thought of it that way. I never, uh, you know, I never seen it that way before. And I'll think about that. I'm like, you know, that really actually makes quite a lot of sense. And so that's that's a good thing for us, right? Yeah. I don't think any of us will ever achieve the pinnacle of biblical literacy in the way that the Lord desires, because it's not just about having Bible knowledge, right? I mean, there are there are scholars who have an immense amount of Bible knowledge, and they're not saved. They don't have saving faith in Christ. And so it's not only the knowledge component, but it's, and even what you talk about in the book, it's the life application, right? It's the, what are we doing with this knowledge that is therefore changing? changing us into Christ-likeness. So I think that in the context of communities, it's kind of where we can see that in action. We see biblical truths becoming realities in people's lives as they are experiencing hardships, suffering, death, problems, conflicts. And we can really see how the the Word of God is alive and active in the lives of believers and, and working to bring about heart change and glory to God at the same time. Well, Dave, we're at the end of our conversation, and we have certainly covered a lot of ground, but I think this is a really worthwhile conversation. I'm really excited that you joined us today. And before I let you go, 
I would love to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. Now, there may be someone listening to this episode who is struggling to grow in their knowledge of the Lord and His Word, and they're feeling really discouraged about it. What would you say to this person to encourage them to take proactive steps towards growing in biblical literacy? Well, Christine, uh, thank you so much for these great questions. They're awesome. I just want to say start small. Start with five minutes and start reading. Don't get, to get discouraged if you don't understand what you're reading. We talked about earlier about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of God's people. You know, God gives us teachers. So it's not just the Spirit that teaches us the truth. He uses teachers of the Word to teach us the truth. So there's a both and, and that's beautiful. We just talked about small groups. We need that. This is this is also where you need your pastor. Your one of your pastor's jobs is to shepherd you in the truth, and God equips him to do that. Pastors and elders, uh, male biblically qualified elders, and go to them if you're struggling with reading the, a certain text. Go to them and reach out to them and say, "Hey, I'm struggling with reading this text. Can you help me?" Or a trusted Bible teacher, or any number of things. But don't quit. Don't give up reading God's word. Don't get discouraged if you're in Leviticus and you don't understand. There's good helps for that. Same with Deuteronomy, any part of the Old Testament, or even the Gospels. Don't give up. You know, remember that what we talked about, God loves his word, he loves his people, and he loves his church. So please delay in those things, my dear Christian friend. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Christine. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dave, for offering us those encouragements. If there is somebody listening to this conversation who wants to get connected with you and your ministry, where can they find you online? Wonderful. Well, you can check us out at servantsofgrace.org, or I'm on all the social medias. Uh, Dave Jenkins is where you can find me. You can find me uh, on Servants of Grace and find out where all I am. And I uh, would love to connect with you. If you have questions, uh, feel free to email me. Dave at servantsofgrace.org is my email. Awesome. Well, Dave, again, just thank you so much. I know you are in a very busy season of the book launch and all the other projects that you have juggling over there at Servants of Grace. And so I'm thankful you've taken the time to talk with us about this topic. And I wish you all the best uh, with this book and your upcoming projects. And uh, just hope that the Lord will use it in the lives of his people in really awesome ways just to encourage them and just invigorate them even in their pursuit of growing in their Bible knowledge. So thanks so much again for joining us today. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.